Welcome back to the Talking Thomas podcast, your podcast for all things Thomas and Friends related, Shawnee Time Station, etc., etc. My name's Orion. And my name is Tony. And today we will be covering the 17th episode of the first season of Shining Time Station, Too Many Cooks. This was a request from Northern Star on Twitter, so thank you, sir. Um, and, uh, and you can go ahead and pull up the episode uh, wherever you're, you're able to watch it, find it, however. Um, and uh, as mentioned before with the Shining Time Station episodes, we're mostly just doing them as requested. Um, so, um, so we are doing these a little bit out of order, but, um, but we're jumping back to the first season here. We've been hanging out in the third season for a while. Um, but you can go ahead and press play now. And as I recall, um, Too Many Cooks is one of the better episodes of season one. Absolutely. I, I um, yeah, uh, as I recall. It's interesting, the version that you and I are watching, because we're watching the same one, of course, uh, the version that you and I are watching has the season two and beyond style credits, whereas season one, when it was first broadcast, had a totally different uh, set of credits. Uh, they were called clip show credits. But the the version that we were able to find has the uh, the the style of credits that would be used in seasons two and beyond of the series. Yeah, absolutely, and I and I really prefer those um, the newer credits, um, yeah, as opposed to the original credits. I, the original credits were charming in a way, but I I, I like the shot of the the locomotive um, more um, and just the. I have more nostalgia, of course, for for the the second style credits. So. Well, same here. I mean, because I grew up. Figure, I was born in ninety one, and so I would have grown up on seasons two, three, and the family specials. And really, up until my teenage years, the only season one story I ever really saw was "Tis a Gift," which has an e, which has an even different third style of credits. So, right, right, absolutely. As as we covered back around back in our Christmas special, schemer's curl is starting to take shape here. Um, it is later into the season. It is. That is a nice curl. And we learn something very interesting about schemer in this episode, don't we? Oh, absolutely. Um, um, in a little bit here, where we are going to learn that schemer's first name is Horace. Yep. Horace Schemer, um, and that's a, a nice choice. It is. It it suits him, I think. And he's talking about the mayor of East Champier, and um, and of course, um, we will be introduced to Mayor Flopdinger. Um, this is his first episode as well. That's um, right. And he'll be introduced a little bit later in the episode. Um, and he he's a fun he's a fun character. Um, he is um, uh, a fun character and. Uh, and a nice addition to the supporting cast of characters in the show. I would say of the recurring characters, because, you know, of course we have the ensemble cast, but of the recurring characters, I would say that Mayor Flopdinger is in the top three, probably alongside, in my opinion, J.B. King and Midge Smoot with Steamy probably close behind. I would say so. Yeah, I would say my three my three favorite are, are J.B. King, Midge Smoot, and uh, and Mayor Flopdinger. Yes, 
for sure. Um, and, and a lot of that comes down to the performances too, the performances of, of those three, um, uh, Bobo Lewis, Mark Holswit, and Jerome Dempsey, um, were, um, were great. They were. Here we have, of course, Ringo as Mr. Conductor, and I'm sure I, I'm sure I'm not the only one who finds it amusing to see Ringo dressed up as a miniature conductor. I, I know a lot of parents who watched this with their children must have must have felt a, a bit of a tickle at seeing that scene as many of the parents who would be watching Shining Time with their children when it was airing would have been most likely fans of the Beatles. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And this is a, it's a shame that this came out before, uh, before gone fishing, because uh, that would have been a nice song um, for him to even just sing a little bit <laughs> or hum a little bit. Um, uh, now was gone fishing featured on Mr. Conductor's Thomas tales. It must have been at some point. I, um, they did, they, they did feature the, the songs on there. Did they not? They did. Um, okay. Um, they, they featured like, I think it was, four or five stories per episode and then one song. Right. And I'm almost certain that they must have featured it because they featured almost all of the season four songs at some point. Right. And here we have the first Thomas story uh, uh, off the rails or Gordon takes a dip. We of course already covered this in a previous episode. Um, Yes. But, um, but uh, this does relate a little bit. Um, it does in terms of in terms of the episodes that were available um, at the time. This is right. fair. Oh, definitely. Uh, I just looked it up actually, and yes, in fact, the the song "Gone Fishing" is featured in the uh, fifth episode of Mister Tutter's Thomas Tales, and that episode. It's called Splish, Splash, Splush. Makes sense. Yeah. And that was, uh, was that the second to last episode? It was, because there were only ever six episodes. say there were six. Yeah. Yes. It was a very short the last song featured on Mr. Conductor's Thomas Tales? The last one? Yeah. Uh, let's find out. Is it the Island Song? Uh, no, uh, the Island Song actually was early. It would have been very fitting to... Featured the Island Song. In fact, the Island Song was featured in the third episode, Wish You Were Here. Uh, okay. The final episode, Paint the Town Red, featured Let's Have a Race. Oh, oh. and the series on Lucky No. Oh, yeah. Not that they intended that, I'm sure. But... Well, no, because after this was going to be a movie. Right, yeah. Although, I think that knowing what the original plot of that was going to be, I think that we're all grateful. Um, that we didn't get that, although um, although what we got still wasn't really all that satisfactory. So, well, <laughs> we'll be getting to that at another time. <laughs> but yes, um, because of course, uh, in in addition to reviewing all of the episodes of the classic series, we'll probably also be doing a commentary at some point of. Magic Railroad, I'm sure. Absolutely, and with the um, with a 20th anniversary Blu-ray coming out this summer, um, that can uh, that can help as well. It can. 
Now, this is um, something else interesting about this episode is that this is the last episode to debut uh, to debut a story from season one of Thomas and Friends until Whistles and Sneezes would appear during the Shining Time episode, Achoo. Right. And Achoo was, uh, that was a... That was a George Carlin, right? It was, yes, because uh, yes, you know, by yeah, because Ringo never narrated two. that. Yeah, yeah, very odd. Um, just odd that that Ringo never narrated that episode, and it, it just never fitted in anywhere, I guess. But, but I suppose if they're doing two per episode, then that leaves that that's twenty four. There were twenty six, so then you have one more to put in with. Uh, Tis a gift, right? And then, um, and then, where you're gonna put whistles and seizes? So I guess they decided not to do it. But you couldn't, you couldn't separate this and down. I mean, you could, but they weren't going to separate this and down the mine. So, no. um, and down the mine, it was a Thomas episode, so they didn't want to get rid of a Thomas episode, of course. So I might as well get rid of one that's Henry and Gordon, right? Uh, more ancillary characters. So, right. I know we covered this in the episode, or at least I'm pretty sure we did, but I always liked the very atmospheric night lighting of season one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, this is a good, solid season one episode. Um, yeah. And I guess this is probably the ring of narration is only heard in this episode and then also in the um, on the Better Late Than Never VHS. Is that correct? I believe so, yes. That is, I believe. Now, I don't know if there's a whole lot of um, terminology that needed to be changed in that episode for the U.S. airing. No. Uh, perhaps only the Sertop, changing fat controller to Sertop and Hat, of course. Right, of course. Which, was, in many episodes, is really the only difference. That and uh, and then saying freight cars, usually. Um, and switches instead of points. Of course. Although it's interesting, some of the things that they didn't change. So they never they never said smokestack instead of funnel. No, they didn't. They never said um, bumpers instead of buffers. Right. Um, which I'm glad. I'm you know. Uh, so my, <laughs> it's interesting that that w- what I refer to in for American railroading or just railways in general is always British. It's it's not American. Yeah, same here. Um, because because of what I grew up with, um, and I also just have a, a natural preference for anything um uh british railway related instead of american railroads so um um and i think we mentioned that in previous episodes but but i think it's something that bears repeating because you know a lot of we are two american guys reviewing a very british show or in this case an american show made because of a british show and you know so it, it does sort of bear repeating sometimes i think that even though we are from america and i I haven't been to England. I don't think you have either, uh, unless I'm wrong. Nope. Uh, you know, it. I think it does make sense for newer listeners, at least, to explain why we use a lot more of the British terminology when we are American and we're reviewing an American show. Something interesting um, 
just caught my attention here in the lighting. Um, I don't know, but uh, it does look like Brian O'Connor's hair may have been a little bit thinner in season one Maybe. than it was in any other season. That is possible. Don't, don't know if he had something fixed or done or something. But... Well, there are any Great number performance of possibilities. Now, there weren't too many interactions between Harry and Schemer, were there, in season one? Um, no. Or at, le- at least him talking about Schemer. Um, I would say there were a lot more between uh, uh, Billy and Schemer. Um, yes. And, of course, there was more time, um, more seasons. and um, But, um, but uh, I just think the, the energy felt off with... Leonard Jackson as Harry, um, just something about it. it was a completely different energy um, with the other characters. It's almost in- intimidating. Um, well, he is. In, and, in fact, that's what the central theme of Does It Bite is about, is that I believe, if I'm correct, that Matt is sort of intimidated by Harry. Right. And I, I don't think it works. I, I think, I mean, uh, I you know, whatever the circumstances for why Leonard Jackson wasn't in the, the subsequent series. Um, I think it was a good change in terms of the character dynamic to have Billy, who is more of a wise sage. Right. Um, as opposed to someone who is just naturally intimidating and it, it didn't, it just had an odd, odd vibe. Um, right. I, I, I agree. I, I do agree. Uh, but here, of course, we have the fabulous Jerome Dempsey as Mayor Osgood Bob Flopdinger. Yeah, I think it's funny that it's Osgood Bob. Yes. <laughs> Flopdinger, that's a funny joke. That is. It is. Uh, but yes, I think Jerome Dempsey was a fantastic actor. He has passed away quite a few years ago now, I believe, if I'm correct. But uh, he was a fantastic actor, and I really brought the character to life oh absolutely yeah definitely yes i in fact yes he he passed away back in august of 1998 oh my so it's been a while but (laughs) (laughs) i always liked him uh, this is a nice camera angle too. That's a great on the camera floor. angle. Yeah, it's like a. It's out of the pole of Tarantino here in uh, in uh, Shining Time Station, <laughs> which is funny. That um, is. Um, but it's yeah, it's nice, and it's nice to see um, a little bit higher up on the set there too, um, behind the arcade, so uh, that we don't normally see. We normally, just see everything at eye level. That's correct. That's a very, very unique camera angle because, as you said, we don't really see that. Uh, this episode, of course, was directed by Gregory Lahan, who uh, directed a seems like quite a bit of season one, or at least the later half of season one. So, do we know what the uh, dialogue is sped up there? Is it from another episode? It or, doesn't uh... say. Uh, I, I'm looking up. Uh, some facts about this episode right now and I I don't see it I can assume that just because 
it's used so often that it's either it's either T.S. Eliot's uh, The Naming of Cats and Growl Tiger's Last Stand or Harry and Stacy's conversation from Promises, Promises. It's because those are the two that are most commonly used in phone scenes uh, when they needed some dialogue to be sped up. But huh. I don't know Very for sure which one it was. The T.S. Eliot part is quite interesting from, uh, from Old Possum's book of Practical Cats. Yes. Which of course is the basis for the uh, for the musical Cats and uh, yes. <laughs> and then the travesty of a film that we uh, that came out uh, this past December. But uh, yeah, mm. I I didn't happen to catch that one. I saw the preview, and that was all I needed to. <laughs> and I'm a fan of the musical. Are uh, you? So um, I I actually I am a fan of the musical. Okay. Um, but not, not the uh, film, not the movie. I have to say, oh, no. okay. not at all. Okay. And we were. This is a nice uh, plot for the the jukebox puppet. It is something more than just putting a nickel in. It's a clever idea for them to come up with uh, a buffalo nickel. So some, something different uh, changes it up a little bit. It is now the interesting bit is that one of these shots that we'll see in a minute or so here. Um, the shot of Tito stopping the discussion between Tex and Rhett's about why Buffalo Nittles aren't made anymore. It's used for the, uh, for the clip show credits, uh, that were the original opening title sequence of season one. Right. And this is another nice example of the show, um, really exploring Americana, um, not just with songs or railroading or, um, the uh the nickelodeon stuff anything like that um but in in terms of you know using an item that is a a good old-fashioned piece of americana like the buffalo nickel yes and of course the song here is chasey jones a classic railway song right and of course stacy jones is a reference to casey jones so um it's a nice a nice little touch here yes Now, what's interesting? And this is a nice high energy jukebox puppet band performance too. I always like when they're high energy. I mean, their their slow songs are great too, yes. um, but this is um, a great one with um, with um, and with Dee Dee out front, um, which is unusual because she's normally behind the drums. Absolutely, yeah, but she's and it's funny she still has the drumsticks in her hand. Yes, <laughs> um, I think those might have been yeah, part of the puppet. Not... Yeah, this is also amusing here too that the uh, the. Containers of spices are clearly McCormick brand, but they <laughs> took the McCormick off of them, or at least colored it out. Product placement, something. Yes, so that so that it wouldn't be product placement. And that is so clearly that squirt in that bottle. Wouldn't be seen. That is clearly squirt. Well, is that squirt? I think it's just regular lemon juice. So. It should be like I don't know. It. The... It doesn't look like a soda bottle. I think it's lemon. Maybe I think it's, it's just, just lemon, juice. lemon juice. I don't know. But those but but those McCormick. spices are one hundred percent McCormick. That is spices. definitely McCormick. <laughs> Because they haven't changed their package design in 30 years. More than that, even. Well, yeah, if this is 89, so 31. Yeah. At least, <laughs> which is funny. I think I have that chili powder at home. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I do as well. Now, is this the first mention of Schemer's mother? I can't remember. It's not the first mention of Schemer's Or at least in great detail. We get more detail about her. 
but this is, I don't believe this is the first mention. It is the first mention of her telephone number. Right. Which is 555-3387, if anyone's wondering. Using the, the standard trope of a 555 number for movies and television. Well, you know, they couldn't really use a real phone number. I'm, I'm sure they must have learned from the mistake of Tommy Two-Tone. Uh, well, right, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, but it's just funny. Any show from the, the 80s or 90s typically uses a 555 uh, number. Um, it does. And here we are with our second Thomas episode here, Down the Mine. Yes. Um, and as we mentioned previously, um, one of our favorites from season one. And again, it, this one and Gordon Tidzip kind of can't be separated. They're in that's they're you know they're always going to be intertwined. Because you can't well, have... as Thomas meets the Queen shows, you can do it, but <laughs> you have to show a flashback. Yes, but <laughs> you know the these two specifically, I mean, are inexorably linked. Right, absolutely. And again, it's another Thomas episode, so they wouldn't pass up a chance to include a Thomas episode in, um, you know, in Charming Time Station, um, considering that was such a huge selling point. Right. I, I mean, and considering that the episode is called Too Many Cooks, you know, this is still season one. So even though Thomas Comes to Breakfast had been out by that point, and Ringo would have narrated it, they didn't include it for some reason yeah it's interesting um now down the mine was also on the better late than ever it was yes okay so so another ringo was was also on this one yes um and uh but yeah that is interesting uh you know tom um is ringo's narration of thomas comes to breakfast in the in charlie time station at all it might be uh, i can't remember i mean he did narrate it for tenders and turntables he did. Um, and, but I believe that's the only time that it's on any VHS, um, with his narration. Um, I believe so. And again, here, main terminology change, Sir Topham Hat and cars. Right. Um, instead. Yeah. Uh, yes, Thomas Thomas Breakfast, in fact, was featured in the episode Two Old Hands. Okay. Which I believe is another um, requested episode that we'll get to at some point in the future. Oh, great. I'm, I'm sure I said this when we did a commentary of the actual episode, but that shot of Thomas falling into the mine is gorgeous. Oh, iconic. Absolutely iconic. I mean, so much so that they replicated it shot for shot in the CGI series when they wanted to do a flashback of it. Oh, absolutely, which is great, yeah. Yep. Unfortunately, the real story that the real life incident that the story is based on is quite a bit sadder, and, you know, has a much different ending, but uh, for the purposes of the show, of course, and the railway series. And a much deeper hole. Well, yes, there's that too.
And it is interesting. Uh, I mean, of course, they couldn't reuse much of it because um, they worked out all the issues with it. But I do like that in the wider shots or in the faraway shots, we do get some recycled footage from the pilot episode. Right. Yeah. From at least uh, we uh, speculate from the we think it's from the pilot uh, episode. The, the side of the station. Uh, Thomas puffing by since that's a, an odd scene. It's definitely his pilot model, at least. Yes. Uh, but it's an odd angle. We never see that angle again on the station. But who knows? Right. It's another interesting what if because we were talking about what ifs in the in the previous episode that we did and you know it's it's always interesting with this material that never officially gets released or is only partly done you know and being grateful for what we have of course it's always interesting to think about what might have been Absolutely. Yeah. And actually we should clarify that um we will be talking about what ifs in the next episode. Um, oh yes, uh, not in the uh, not in our not in the previous episode. The next one, that's right. I'm sorry. The next one. Nice use of the clock again here um, that we saw um, a couple times in season one. That's. Um, I'm not sure if it was used as much in any other subsequent season. It, but... It's a recurring thing in season one. Uh, season two uses it sparingly, and I don't recall if it's ever used again after that. But I know that the clocks appear, a different set of clocks, mind you, uh, but the motif of watching the clocks run forward does come back in Double Trouble, one of my personal favorite episodes, which we'll get to at some point. And so, uh, yes, but after season two, I don't know that they really uh, did that anymore. Right. But it is an interesting uh, motif to use to show passage of time. Yeah, and again, it's a uh, another piece of uh, of a railroad station, an integral part of a railroad station. Um, is the uh, is the clock? Yes. I see what you mean now about Brian O'Connor's hair, and maybe it's just maybe it's because he just took off a wig, but his hair has a much more flyaway look in this episode. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I noticed it in other episodes of season one too. I just forgot to mention it, but it definitely looks quite a bit thinner in this season um, than in any others. But again, he also has it in this. It's more slicked very tightly to his head and slicked forward. And then in the other seasons, it's kind of slicked back and then with a curl. True. In the front. Um, and he also has, um, um, yeah, it's just different. Yes. Yes, it is. But in the interview that he did around the time of Shoddy Temptation's release with Ringo Starr, he does have a little ponytail. So, yeah. Which is a great interview. Anyone who hasn't seen that, it should be out on YouTube somewhere. Um, um, I believe actually SIF has it posted. Um, the SIF forums and fan site YouTube page. Yes. Um, but it's an interview that um, Ringo and Brian O'Connor did on American television when Shining Temptation premiered. Yes. Um, in 1989. So it's a great, it's a great little time capsule um, of the 
you know, people didn't know what this was in America. People had never heard of Thomas really. Right. Um, so it's, it's quite interesting. And, and little did they know that it would become this massive worldwide phenomenon. Yeah. I, I, I mean, clearly when Britt Allcroft made it, obviously as anyone who makes the television series does, she hoped it would be successful, but I don't think she could have ever envisioned it being the worldwide success that it has become. No, absolutely, and especially not in America. I mean, it was slightly unlikely, um, right? That it would that it would. Um, this was the era of Barney and Sesame Street and um, that kind of thing. So um, it, it really helped to take take off an, an old fashioned style TV show. Really, in, in terms of Shiny Tom Station, and then also um, Tom's itself. Right, relatively old fashioned, more of a British style show, um, and other British shows didn't really take off here, like Postman Pat or, um, or uh, Fireman Sam or right. something like that. Didn't really quite take off here, um, but but Thomas absolutely one hundred percent did, and I, more of that I think less to do with Shining Time Station and more to do with the power of the merchandising right it's, and also because children have an inherent fascination with trains yes um in general um, now you say that but for its time and bearing in mind of course it premiered in 1989 shining the time station was kind of a ratings darling on pbs now of course that's for pbs but it's still right like, absolutely no, you know yeah no absolutely yeah not not slighting it anyway no, of course. but just stating that um obviously Thomas's success in America has less to do with Shining Time Station than just the quality of the product oh, of itself course, yes. and the power of the the image. The image of Thomas yes. is such a brandable and marketable image oh, it that it, it worked very well in its favor. And really, no other British series took off in America in that way. Right. Um, probably until, um, and even then, it still doesn't have the didn't have the staying power. But it was certainly huge at one time, which was Bob the Builder, right? Um, in the early two thousands, that that you know exploded like a rocket. It did, um, yeah. And that was another British TV series that that really took off. Um, and Naughty was also successful on PBS at a time, but obviously, again, not not nearly right. to the extent of Thomas. But it was still quite successful. Exactly. So that was, yeah, that. That was very good. Too many touch. And I, I'm sorry, I'm a liar because Teletubbies was a British was invention, British, and that was a and that was a major explosion. So that's right, it was. But that was too many touch. Yeah, great episode. Um, it was, but well, not great episode, but a decent episode. It was, um, and it was good. One of the better ones of season one. It's exactly. more entertaining than some of the other episodes of season one. Partly that has to do with the episode selection of the, the Thomas stories. Um, yes. Um, just because those are two of the better episodes of season one, right? Um, or at least one of them. Down the mine is is one of our favorites. It is. Um, but that's a. Uh, but that was uh, that was that episode. So it was good. Mm-hmm. And uh, and stay tuned for more uh, Shining Time Station. Um, we'll be you know doing some more requests. So send out those go. requests, please. Uh, post them to Twitter. Uh, you can also comment on our Facebook page, Talking Thomas, yep. and check us out on Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, any other podcast platform yes. that you can think of. We're probably on there. I'm sure we are. And, uh, and in the future, we'll be doing, as I said, more Shining Time Station, more Thomas, Tugs, Railway Series, lots of stuff coming up. Yeah, and it's going to be it's gonna be a lot of fun. Um, 
we're, we're there's a lot of great stuff coming uh, coming forward in the time to come, and I look forward to sharing more of it with you all. And I hope that you all will continue to listen. Uh, so uh, thanks a bunch.